panoramic lifestyle clothing. Hey, look alive! Everything lights up, makes you want to shout. Talk about happiness, that's what we're talking about. You'll look great in a panoramic lifestyle t-shirt. No matter what brings you happiness, but we know we'll. Come on now, smile, get happy. Order your t-shirt today at plclothing.store. plclothing.store. Welcome to Sunday Digest, an award-winning public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. Get ready for a half hour of interesting conversation with veteran Cleveland broadcaster Ken Robinson. And now, here's Ken and Sunday Digest. Good morning and welcome to our vacation edition of Sunday Digest. The traveling season is well underway, but there are hazards out there. Bill Johnson of the AAA will tell us how to stay safe on the road. If you're camping, we'll get tips from the Ohio Division of Wildlife on avoiding disease-carrying ticks. And taking your camera, we'll find out about the best way to preserve your vacation on film. But first, before you head out, it might be a good idea to get trip insurance. It could help you avoid a traveling tragedy. Ask yourself these questions. Who will pay if you have an accident while on vacation? Are you covered by your health insurance policy? What if you're injured or get sick and need a special flight to get home? Ralph Davis of Travel Insurance Services believes travel insurance is necessary, especially if you're traveling out of the country. Most of our policies in this country do not cover emergency medical transportation to bring a person back to the United States from wherever they may be. And there is a very expensive item, $25,000 from Europe to the West Coast is a recent one that we had to, to work with. Davis says you can find special policies to cover just about any trip, but cost is the key. Price range that we would, that we would find out there, $3, three and a quarter, $5 a day to give you or to give the traveler medical insurance, medical evacuation coverage, some accidental death coverage, and even repatriation of remains because people do in fact die overseas and it can cost up to words to $5,000 to bring them back and uh, that's not covered by any other type of policy that's out there. But you have to be careful that medical coverage covers pre-existing medical conditions. We make very sure that when it comes to the very expensive emergency evacuations or repatriation of remains that exclusion does not apply, which means a person can go purchase the policy knowing that they have a heart condition, go on the trip, suffer a, a problem caused by that heart condition, and the policy will evacuate them back to the United States. Here is something else to consider. Davis notes that many tourists get stranded when their tour operator or cruise line goes out of business, so you might want to look at bankruptcy default coverage, but that coverage isn't cheap. The ratio usually is five and a half dollars of premium for that kind of coverage for every one hundred dollars of travel expense that is prepaid. If we have a two hundred dollar uh, expense, we may decide that we'll absorb that ourselves. I mean, everybody has a threshold that they can figure. Well, I'll risk the loss of a two hundred dollar air ticket, or maybe a thousand dollars, or maybe only fifty dollars. It depends on one's pocketbook, but. Certainly it should be considered when one is buying a, an expensive trip. And what if you have to cancel your trip because of illness or other circumstances? Well, you might want to think about trip cancellation insurance. 
Now, all this isn't meant to scare you. It's just meant to make you aware that things can go wrong even when you're planning for a good time. And you're listening to our special vacation travel edition of Sunday Digest on FM 99.5 WGAR. Sunday Digest. Here's Ken Robinson on WGAR. On the road where the night is black. On the road where you don't look back. There's a white line in the distance where it's going nobody knows. If it's Joining us in WGAR Studio E is Bill Johnson, who's Managing Director of Public Affairs for the Ohio Motorist Association. Well, I thank you for joining us at uh, WGAR today. Good morning, Ken. It's nice to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Glad to have you here to kick off the summer vacation season. It's time to hit the road and travel. And there's always those rules of the road and things we should do before we hit the road. It is time, and a lot of people, of course, are probably out on the highway right now with their families. And unfortunately, it's too late for them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some of those cars may be ending up stranded along the highway. Mm-hmm. I hope that's not the case. But if they didn't take uh, maintenance tips in advance, they, they might have a car problem. These new cars are almost maintenance-free. We, we, but we can't really just jump in them and just take off cross-country, can we? Well, if, if your car is up to snuff, you can. But I would suggest if you're going to pile the family into the back of the station wagon or the uh, minivan... Uh, I would suggest a little bit of preventive maintenance ahead of time. Take it to a good garage that you're confident about. Hopefully it would be a AAA-approved auto repair facility. We've got them all over northeast Ohio. Um, but any good, reputable garage will be able to inspect the vehicle before you leave on your trip and look for problems, let's say, with the cooling system, uh, the belts, um, change the oil. That's always recommended. Uh, a simple little thing like putting new windshield wiper blades on, you know, after a tough winter is uh-huh. advisable. Uh, you don't want to get caught in a downpour and not be able to see very well. Yeah. So a lot of simple things can make your vacation trouble-free, at least as far as the car goes. It could cause a nasty accident. But we call them crashes now because we uh, don't think they're accidents yeah. anymore. We think they're intentionals, if you will. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's something that we can do in advance to prevent that crash or wreck. So uh, that's what we're urging people to do. The most important thing you can do before you head out is to pack your cell phone in the car because in the event that you do have a problem, uh, that will save you hours and a lot of aggravation because you can call for help. That's really a requirement these days, isn't it, if you're traveling long distances? It almost is, but, of course, we advise people not to chat on the phone while they're driving. Mm -hmm. We all know the problems that that has caused. Okay, you're driving along, you break down on the road, break down on the highway, flat tire or whatever, the the engine conks out on you. What do you do? Well, if the engine conks out, you don't have a lot of choice. Hopefully you can get onto the right berm, the right side of the highway. Every once in a while you'll see somebody on the left side, on the high-speed side, and that is a really dangerous place to be. So don't go there unless you absolutely have to. Get over on the right side of the road and get as far off the road as possible. Um, I advise people not to change a tire on the highway. If they're within a reasonable driving distance to an exit or a rest stop, don't stop on the highway. It looks peaceful, but how many times have we seen and read about people serving on an emergency basis, whether it's EMT technicians, 
at a crash scene mm-hmm. or people just changing a tire. You, you just read about it all the time. A car will come off the highway, whether the driver of that car is impaired by alcohol or whatever, and they'll strike these people. So we advise people, unless you absolutely have to, not to try to repair the car along the side of the road. If your family's in the car, I suggest, and you're stuck there, your engine quit, get the family behind a barrier. Get them out of the car, and if they can go to a safe location uh, away from the roadway, such as behind a jersey barrier or an Armco steel barrier, that's the place to be. If you can't do that, and let's say you're stuck on a bridge, stay in the car with the seatbelts on and the flashers on. Uh, It's a very dangerous place to be. Uh, You know, I come out of motorsports and auto racing and and if you're ever near the track, you just don't do that. You don't stand in the pits, and that's the same thing as standing along the side of the highway. Wow. Now, is it better to stay with the car or whether to just you know, start walking down the highway to look for help? That's a, that's a tough one. I can't tell you which is better. You've got to use some good judgment. You've got to really think about the consequences. Uh, I think it's probably the least advisable thing to do it would be to walk down the highway. That would kind of scare me because you have no idea... You're going to be walking with traffic, which is, of course, the wrong way to, to do it. Mm-hmm. You should walk against traffic, but you can't do that on a superhighway. You can't cross the median and go to the other side. If you have to do that, boy, pray. That's all I can say because you're just totally vulnerable to anybody who might have a blowout who's coming by or someone who may be driving recklessly or falling asleep at the wheel or you know, somebody who's had too much to drink. And those folks are out there, believe me. They just aren't heard about or read about because they don't cause crashes. The, the guy who's falling asleep at the wheel may vary, veer off the road and go along the berm. You never hear about it unless there's a problem. So uh, basically, where, where are people heading? Well, they're heading all over the place and in record numbers. Our members, AAA members in Northeast Ohio, uh, have told us by requesting triptychs and maps and tour books that they're going to Niagara Falls, Myrtle Beach, Orlando, Florida. Can you believe in this heat? <laughs> they're going down to Florida. But that's Walt Disney and Universal Studios drawing them. Uh, they're also going to Toronto, which makes a lot of sense. Hilton Head to play a little golf. And then the Washington, D.C., the East Coast area, including Williamsburg and Virginia Beach. Uh, of course, Las Vegas is still big because of the people who have extra money they want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And Boston, surprisingly, is 10th on our list. But uh, frankly, Ken, I think, frankly, Ken is the word for that. <laughs> I think that probably the most popular destination, uh, which we do not have triptychs for, would be Cedar Point and the Lake Erie Islands. I think that that is the place to be if you're in northeast Ohio. Well, that's interesting. It looks like uh, people in our area are heading to a lot of traditional destinations, uh, destinations that aren't really exotic except for uh, Las Vegas. Except for Las Vegas. Yeah, I think that summertime travel um, means traditional uh, vacation destination in many cases. Uh, Wintertime travel or the shoulder season, uh, fall and spring, may be the Caribbean or Europe. You know, certainly not Europe in the winter, but the Caribbean. Um, We will see quite a few people going to Europe this summer. That's always hot, but it's not one of our top destinations. We're talking to William Johnson, who's Managing Director of Public Affairs for the Ohio Motorists Association. Well, maybe you can uh, shed a little light on this uh, question. Uh, We're driving around in our cars, and we're going past gas stations, and almost every gas station, uh, the price is relatively the same. I mean, you'll see a little variance in price here and there, but if the price goes way up, it goes way up for everybody. If it goes way down, it goes way down for everybody. 
Is there any price fixing going on there in the gasoline industry? Oh, absolutely industry? not, no. Um, there is, of course, uh, price fixing on crude oil by the OPEC nations, by foreign governments. They very much try to control the price of crude oil. But in, in the United States, the retail price is absolutely not um, determined by collusion or by one company talking to the other. When one of your market leaders sets the price, then all of the other stations in the area will know it. They'll watch them very carefully like a hawk. And when that occurs, you'll see fluctuation going on at the local stations, the non-chain stations, if you will, the independents. And in many cases, the manager of that station has as part of his duty to run around and look at the prices at the other stations. That's why there is some similarity in, in some cases, in other cases, great disparity, because some individual may want to grab market share in that area, and they may low-cut the price. Uh -huh. So they're all watching each other, just like the uh, supermarkets do when they yes. send uh, shoppers around to keep tabs on prices. Very much. Now, uh, AAA is also one of the top uh, uh, tra uh, travel agencies in our area. Any advice for folks that are traveling by other means, maybe booking trips on, uh, on planes or trains or whatever? Sure. Um, if they haven't booked already, they're at home listening to us right now. <laughs> That's number one. Yeah. But if they are planning on going someplace this summer and they haven't made plans yet, uh, you're already late. Uh, people, uh, gratefully, the economy is doing real well, and people have a lot of discretionary income, and they're spending it on vacations. So they are taking cruises, and they are going to Europe in record numbers. But to do that, and to do that and have a good time, you need to get, number one, a good travel agent, that you can rely on and trust somebody who'll get to know you. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one tip I give listeners and people who talk to me is to take a travel agent out to lunch. If you find somebody you like, take them out to lunch so they get to know you. It's worth the money buying them lunch so that they know your likes and dislikes and they can plan a good vacation for you. Ah. That's number one. Make your plans early. In other words, now it is not too late to start thinking about let's say, an Alaskan cruise next year. Mm -hmm. Not this year. Not this year. Because next the time year. is already booked. Uh -huh. The time to go to Alaska is during the hot months, you know, June, July, August. Plan for next year. Their cruises are mostly, you know, very popular, are going to fill up fast. Mm -hmm. So, um, Especially in a hot destination like Alaska, yes. so to speak. <laughs> yes. Uh, so plan early. Um, you can also save money that way because your airfare is going to be lower than if you wait until the last minute mm -hmm. pay top price. So that's the best advice I could probably give. Okay. Get a good travel agent and plan early. Try and plan early. And I guess the relationship between the consumer and the travel agent is very important. Being a, a personal business, a business almost like a financial planner, you're, 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 a lot of money is often involved. It really is. And trust your travel agent. Uh, don't go in with preconceived notions about what you want to purchase unless you've been there before. Mm -hmm. Let's say... Uh, you've been on a Holland America cruise in the Caribbean before and you like that product and you want to go back, that's fine. But if you've never been on a cruise before, go in and try to tell your travel agent, try to communicate to the agent your likes and dislikes about vacationing, what type of vacation you're used to and what would make you happy. Let them, with their expertise, then determine what product you should go toward, whether it's Holland America or Carnival or one of the more expensive lines. Mm -hmm. Well, great advice. A lot of good advice, a lot of good consumer information. Always glad to have you dropping by our studio here. Thank you, Ken. I love to come back.
Really appreciate it, and the door is always open for you. Thanks. We've been talking to William Johnson, who's Managing Director of Public Affairs for the Ohio Motorist Association. You're still uh, editor of the Ohio Motorist? I am. Okay. Editor and publisher, and I have to throw a plug in here. (laughs) Thanks to the Cleveland Press Club for just selecting us. Well, actually, they didn't, the Los Angeles Press Club judge. But we just received honorable mention in the Best in Ohio category for magazines. Oh, great. We're really proud of it. That's great. Bill Johnson of the Ohio AAA. And you're listening to our special vacation travel edition of Sunday Digest on FM 99.5 WGAR. I'm Ken Robinson. Good morning to you. Many of you are going to be traveling to camping areas this summer. That means you're going to have to be on the watch for disease-carrying ticks. Joining us now on the line is Bill Beagle of the Ohio Division of Wildlife. And Bill... Some say we're going to see an increase in the number of ticks out there this year. I don't know if it's going to get worse or not. What we would recommend to people is that they wear light-colored clothing when they're out hiking in the woods and fields so that they make it easier to spot ticks that might be on them. And also do a check of your person when you come out of a a hike, checking your hair and uh, on your arms, underneath your armpits, places where uh, ticks might go unnoticed. Any areas where we will be more prone to find ticks than others? Yeah, if you're out in wooded areas, especially where there might be deer in the area, uh, ticks can drop on you from an overhanging tree. If you keep uh, brushy areas mowed well around your house, uh, avoid weeds that could uh, serve as habitat for hosts for the ticks, like small rodents. Uh, Keep those areas well-trimmed and and groomed, and uh, you should be okay. Uh, Is this primarily a problem in rural areas and, and not big cities? Pretty much. Well, yeah, you're not going to have to worry about it in cities. Again, it's, a lot of it has to do with habitat. You need a host for the tick, either a deer, a rodent, something like that that might carry the tick. Dogs can carry ticks. And it's also endemic mostly to other states other than Ohio. We don't have a lot of problem with Lyme disease, which is probably one of the more serious things you can get from a tick. It doesn't seem to be endemic to Ohio. If you have small children that you're camping with, you want to make sure you check them over. If you're taking your dog out with you, you want to look through their fur very thoroughly around their ears to make sure that they haven't picked up any ticks. Are those uh, repellents any good? You can apply repellents containing what they call DEET, D-E-E-T, to your socks and your shoes. You can tuck your pant legs into your boots while you're hiking. All of these things will be a good precaution against picking up a tick. Uh, it's nothing that people need to be deathly afraid of, just precautions and, and checking yourself over. And sometimes you may not even be aware that you've picked up a tick or that you've been bitten. If you notice a small lesion uh, with a red ring around it, you notice any irritation, you want to see if you can get that tick out of there. They recommend not touching it with your hands but using tweezers and pulling it straight out, not adhering to any wives' tails like using a match and trying to burn it out because that can cause the tick to burst and you don't want to get any of the tick's fluids or any of its body parts left inside your skin. Okay, good advice for one and all. We thank you, Bill Beagle of the Ohio Division of Wildlife. I'm Ken Robinson, and you're listening to our special vacation edition of Sunday Digest. 99.5 Now, how do you preserve those special moments when you get to your vacation destination? Well, here to tell us about taking great pictures is Barry Gano, former WGAR air personality and currently owner of Cricket's Photoshop in Akron. Thanks for joining us on 
Sunday Digest today, Barry. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Ken. First of all, how do you pick the right film, and how do you pick the right film speed? Well, let's uh, kind of start off with the beginning and uh, start with 100-speed film. Mm -hmm. Generally, most people use 100-speed. And the circumstances to use 100-speed film is generally on a bright, sunny day. 100-speed should be used with a flash if you're indoors, obviously. You can get away with that. Uh, some of the problems with 100 speed is sometimes people use it like very late in the evening, you know, or on a very cloudy day. Not a good idea. It usually results in underexposed pictures or the negatives when you get them back from the photo lab will be very thin and your images or your prints will be very flat looking mm -hmm. or very grainy looking. That's uh -huh. kind of an example of, of underexposure. The way to kind of get around that if you're kind of in doubt of a situation is maybe move to 200 speed film and 200 is a good in-between film as far as between 100 and 400 speed. 400 is more of a low light situation. Mm -hmm. But 200 speed is kind of what I basically use most of the time. It, you can use it outdoors or indoors, and you're usually pretty safe most of the time mm -hmm. using that. Uh, other examples of which I just mentioned was 400 speed film. That's generally strictly indoors. If you use 400 speed outside on a bright sunny day, you're going to end up with overexposed pictures generally. Mm -hmm. And that means when you get your negatives back from the lab, they'll be very thick, like when they're kind of hard to look through, and your prints will be very off-color and very dense-looking mm -hmm. when you get your prints back. Now, now if you're going to use, uh, if you're going to make blow-ups of your pictures, it's usually best to use the the film speed that's the lowest? Right, that is correct. 100 speed or even lower. If, if you feel adventurous, you can go shoot like a, uh, a film speed of 50. There's some of that on the market. And generally that means no camera shake whatsoever. You usually need a tripod. Mm -hmm. Or if you are using it handheld, you should have adequate light, you know, a bright sunny day, for example. But uh, for most folks, I think 200 speed would be the way to go. Uh -huh. you know, and you can usually get pretty good enlargements from that. You know, if you're going up to an 8x10, 8x12, even 11x14, you can usually turn out pretty well. Higher speed film results in a graininess. The larger you enlarge the picture, it just becomes more and more grainy. And they just, they're just not good enlargements. Uh -huh. Now, um, uh, there are so many different brands. Uh, I mean, we, we all know Kodak, but right. but there uh, there are so many different kinds of other brands. There's Fuji, and, and then you walk into your, your local store, and there's store brand film. Right. Are, are those, uh, are the other, which brands are the best? Well, how do you know? My general recommendation on that is to stick with your name brands. If mm -hmm. you stick with the Kodak, the Fuji, Konica, uh, some of the other brands, uh, Mitsubishi just entered the, uh, actually the film business themselves, and it's a Konica base film. They're actually connected with each other. But if you stick with name brands, you're generally going to get better pictures. When I'm on vacation, I see a lot of people with cameras, but there are all kinds of different cameras. You see the guy with the expensive Nikon. You see the guy with the uh, disposable camera. Right. <laughs> uh, does it really matter what kind of camera that you have when you're taking pictures? Absolutely. Being in the photo business for about 15 years, I've discovered that uh, as far as a disposable camera, and I want to really emphasize disposable cameras here, a, a couple of problems that you're going to incur with those. And it doesn't matter who makes them. I mean, it's pretty much the same common problems throughout. Disposable cameras, for the most part, are made for outdoor use. And I would recommend a disposable camera if you're going to the beach, if you're going to be around sand or in a dirty environment, or you can even buy underwater or waterproof disposable cameras. And that's a good idea. Generally, they turn out pretty well. Mm -hmm. But the problems with disposable cameras is underexposure. Working in the photo business and developing them, I have noticed that you're lucky if you get half the pictures out half the time. 
depending uh -huh. on lighting. They're just not adjusted to whatever the lighting situation. Now, for the most part, I've seen cameras that's been taken, you know, like to underwater areas, like people go to the Bahamas or Hawaii and they'll take them. And we've had pretty good results from some of the underwater cameras because they have a higher film speed loaded inside them, generally either 400 or 800 speed film. Mm -hmm. So they're made for a low light situation and the pictures generally turn out pretty well. But outdoors is generally where you want to use them. I recommend if you're going on vacation, you're going to be at the beach or near water, take the disposable camera and let the other camera behind. Mm -hmm. If you use a regular camera, whether it's a point and shoot or an SLR, the kind with the interchangeable lens, if you're around a beach, sand and water is deadly to a camera. If you mm -hmm. get it inside them, they're messed up. It, it's expensive to get them repaired. It's a good idea to keep your good camera away from the water and the sand and take the disposable there and you know take your chances that you're going to get fairly decent pictures if it's a bright, sunny day. Uh-huh. We're talking to Barry Gano, photo expert and owner of Cricket's Photo Store in Akron, Ohio. And uh, I'm Ken Robinson on WGAR. We're talking about getting great photos from your summer vacation. And, you know, I used to always hear that people used to say that it's not the camera, but it's the photographer that makes the difference. What do people do wrong when they're taking pictures? Well, there's a variety of things <laughs> that you can do wrong. Uh, for the most part, if you buy a camera, you should thoroughly read the owner's manual and find out all the operating features of the camera. Most folks I know working in the business, I've found a lot of folks get uh, mismatched to their camera. I mean, it doesn't make sense if you're if you do not take a lot of pictures to go out and buy, you know, a $600 SLR outfit. If mm -hmm. you're a little more proficient and you enjoy taking a lot of pictures, and I would say go the SLR route. You know, buy a good camera and stick with that. Generally, the problem is, is it's mismatching. That people just don't have the right camera matched up to how they use it. Uh, you can usually get pretty good results from a lot of the new point-and-shoots now, if we want to kind of start with that category. That's what most people own right mm -hmm. now. Is most people want to keep it simple. Huh? Right, and I would recommend to stick with pretty much your name brand cameras mm -hmm. once again. And the name brands out there are your Nikons, your Minolta's, and your Canon mm -hmm. line is, is your name brand cameras. There are some other minor brands that you you know might be okay, but myself personally, I would stick with the major cameras because they have better optics in them, better operating systems, and they're proven. They've been on the market for many years. Uh, Kodak has a few cameras out that I'm aware of, but they usually are made by someone else. Kodak mm -hmm. really doesn't manufacture their own cameras anymore. There's someone else out there doing that. Mm -hmm. But uh, stick with, uh, if you're a point-and-shoot person, stick with the name brand. You'll be okay. Get familiar with the camera that you're using and uh, and thoroughly understand it because there's certain things, if we, if we can, we can kind of go through if we had a point-and-shoot camera. If it has a built-in flash, get familiar with the flash range of your camera. A lot of folks stand too far back or they're too close. Well, you'll see people uh, at a play or maybe a stadium, or they, they may be 100 feet away from the action, and the flash just doesn't reach that far, and they end up right. with all this, you know, nothing on film. Usually, <laughs> effective flash range is anywhere from around 3 to 15 to 20 feet, somewhere right around there. That's an effective range. Mm -hmm. But get familiar with your camera to find out what the limitations are. Okay, thanks a lot, Barry. Former WGAR Air personality, Barry Gano, owner of Cricket's Photo in Akron. And we're just about out of time. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Happy traveling.
This has been Sunday Digest with WGAR's Ken Robinson, a public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. The views and opinions expressed on the show were those of the participants and not necessarily those of WGAR, its staff, and management. Join us next week for another edition of Sunday Digest. Welcome to Ken's Corner. I'm Ken Robinson. Almost 28 million Americans have type 2 diabetes and another 86 million are at risk. Talk show host Dr. Phil, who has lived with type 2 diabetes for more than 25 years, is now speaking out about dealing with the disease. What I've learned over 25 years is what I've boiled down to the onitmovement.com program that I'm doing it in partnership with AstraZeneca. Dr. Phil McGraw says it's important to have a solid support team in place to help people manage their treatment plan and stick to it. There are 28 million people in America that have type 2 diabetes. There's 86 million more that are at risk for it and over 400 million around the world. What I'm going to do is take all the things I've learned over 25 years about the psychological barriers, psychological challenges, and the psychological tools you can use to manage this incurable disease. Dr. Pamela Kushner is involved with Dr. Phil's On It movement. You need to eat, so you want to be able to have the knowledge about what are you going to replace that added sugar with. You're going to replace it with a food, a plant-based diet would be ideal. Thanks for stopping by Ken's Corner. And please subscribe to our podcast series, The Ken Robinson Shows.